0: Morning. How we doing? Good, great. Okay, good. I think we set a, uh, a CCC record on Facebook Live for the nine o'clock service. <laughs> uh, a lot of people tuning in from home today, but you guys are brave, you made it out, and it's nice and warm in here, and so I'm glad you're here. We're continuing our uh, conversation about wisdom. So we, we talked last week that... that we we all need to grow in wisdom. It's something that um, we like the idea of, and uh, there's a part of us that just assumes that it's going to happen naturally as we get older. But we know enough older people who still can be foolish that we know that's not a guarantee, right? So we have to do something if we're going to grow in wisdom. We've got to take some steps, be proactive. And so that's our goal is to figure out how to to get to the ocean of God's wisdom. That's the metaphor we're using, the image of an ocean of God's wisdom. And so we defined wisdom last week as uh, empowered to know and do what's best. Empowered to know and do what's best. And we talked last week that the source of all wisdom is God. God created it, God gives it, and um, it's all defined by God's nature and will as expressed through his activity in the world. So with all of that in mind, we ended last week with this phrase from uh, one of the Psalms and we're going to pick it up from uh, the same phrase from Proverbs 9, 10 this morning, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So scripture gives us a starting place. So if we're going to grow in this ability to know and do what's best, we have this starting place Called the fear of the Lord, and some of you have heard that phrase. You've read that before. You've formed an opinion about what that means. Some of you didn't like what you the opinion you formed, and you kind of wonder what is what does it mean to to fear the Lord? It's the phrase gets used a lot in scriptures, fourteen times in Proverbs alone, and it's really throughout the Old Testament and shows up in the New Testament as well. So we're going to dig into that today, but first. Um, I want to back up and, and start with this idea of knowing what's best, because I think if we're gonna care about anything else that, that I say, you know, after this, we have to be convinced that we need help knowing what's best. Sometimes I think we, we function as though we don't, like I, you know, especially if you're older, maybe you've, you've lived enough life and you're like, I, I've got this figured out. I kinda know, I kinda know what's best. I, I know how to figure that out on my own. Um, but it, it just becomes more complicated um, the, the more we really put some thought into it. So when we ask what's best, I mean, what do we, what do we even mean? Do we mean what's best for me uh, or what's best for my family? What if I feel like those two things don't align? Do we mean what's best right now or what's best for the future? A lot of times, those two things don't line up. Do we mean... What's best for my personal safety or what's best for my purpose in life? Because sometimes those two things don't line up. So what do we really mean by what's best? A couple of, let's give you a couple scenarios. So let's say you get a, a job offer. It's a new job. It's more responsibility. It's more money. It requires a move to a different city. And there are gonna be implications for your whole family. How do you know what's best in that scenario? How do you know if if you should take the job or not? Is is what's best for you the same as what's best for your family? Is it the same as what's best for your current employer? Do you take into consideration what's best for your friendships? What's best for your church family? Throw another scenario out there. Let's say, that your marriage is in sustained conflict, that you've you've done a lot of work to try to make things better and it's just not getting better. And now you have friends who are telling you it's time to start planning for divorce. How do you know what's best in that scenario? How how do you know what's best? Is, Is what's best for you the same as what's best for your spouse, the same as what's best for your kids? Is it the same as what's best for the future. How, how do you know? You, you can see that we can throw a lot of variables into this conversation that make it really difficult to know what's best. And hopefully we can all agree at this point that we could use some help in knowing and doing what's best. Because as I said last week, even when we know what's best, we don't always do it, right? That. Defined my teenage years. <laughs> I knew a lot more than I actually put into practice. Um, it, my, when I got in trouble with my parents, it, they weren't telling me things I didn't know. Like another speeding ticket, really? Do you, are you aware that if you go over the speed limit, you could get pulled over? I knew this. I just didn't do anything about it. <laughs> I liked driving fast. Uh, I was cured of that uh, by having no money to pay tickets with. So if we need help knowing and fearing what's best, not fearing, knowing and doing what's best, and Scripture gives us this starting point for wisdom, which is the fear of the Lord, then we need to dig into what the fear of the Lord means. So I'm going to throw out a definition for you, and then we're going to back that up by looking through Scripture. So our working definition for today is fear of the Lord is embracing God's authority to determine what's best. So if, if my goal is to know and do what's best, then um, I have to embrace God's authority to be the, the final word on what's best for me, for everyone, for his kingdom ultimately. And so that's the fear of the Lord. And uh, we're going to see how this plays out. So there are a couple of examples in scripture we're going to look at where the fear of the Lord is the the goal, and the writer gives us some reasons that we should have this fear of the Lord. And so we're gonna look at what those reasons are and talk about that. And then we'll come back to talk about what does it mean to fear the Lord? Is it, because I, I think like when I was growing up and this phrase would come up, it, it felt like I was supposed to be afraid of God and that that was, that was the, the goal was to be afraid of God because God's bigger and stronger than you so he can hurt you. Is that what it means? I'm going to let that hang for a minute. Let's look at Job uh, chapter 28. So Job, we know his story a little bit. He um, was being tested. Uh, his faith was being tested. And so this, this, the, the enemy, the accuser, Satan, took everything away from him. He, his kids all died. He lost all of his wealth. He lost his health. And he's just suffering. And his friends come to comfort him. And they do something really wise and beautiful. They just sit with him in silence for seven days. No one says a word. They're just together. That's beautiful. And then they blow it by talking and they start to debate with Job about why all this stuff has happened to him. Why, why did you lose everything? And um, they have this debate for several chapters Um, Job continues, he keeps defending himself and they keep accusing him. And towards the end of this debate, Job is kind of writing up a summary of of his defense, his position, and he's gonna talk about wisdom and fear of the Lord. Here's uh, here's what Job says. If you see anything on the screen underlined, that's your part, please read that loudly. So the goal is if... I was watching this online. I could hear the audience saying it out loud. That's, you gotta be pretty loud for that. I don't know if you guys have ever watched one of our things online, but when it gets to this part, it's like, what's happening? He just stopped talking. Is anybody, some of you are like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. All right, so we're gonna be loud enough that they can hear us online, okay? Uh, Job twenty-eight twenty. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. For he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, and to shun evil is understanding. So Job says, we're looking for wisdom, okay? We're on this quest for wisdom. Where are we gonna find it? It's only in God. And here's the reason why it starts with the fear of the Lord, Job says. And he gives us kind of this lesson about the forces of nature, doesn't he? He says, where does, where does the wind come from? Where does the rain come from? Where, what about the thunderstorms? Who's, who's in control of all of that? And so they lived in this period of history where they didn't have a deep scientific understanding of the forces of nature. And so when they saw this happening, they were like, whoever is in control of all of that, that person we should fear and and respect and be in awe of. Who's ever in control of all those forces of nature, we should fear him. And that is the beginning of wisdom, to acknowledge that the one in control of those powerful forces of nature deserves our respect and gets to define wisdom for us. That, that's Job's premise. That's his belief about wisdom. And uh, we're gonna see something similar in Jeremiah. This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to the nation of Israel uh, to sort of criticize them for their um, lack of wisdom. Here's what God says in Jeremiah 5:22: "'Should you not fear me,' declares the Lord." I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. And they have turned aside and gone away. They do not say to themselves, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives autumn and spring rains in season, who assures us of the regular weeks of harvest. Okay, so we see a similar thing, the fear of the Lord being spoken of in terms of the forces of nature. And Jeremiah, God is saying, you you know the oceans, right? You you know the waves out there? And for the people of this time, the ocean was the most terrifying thing on the planet. Like they they could handle pretty much everything else, but man, the ocean just seemed like this untamed, chaotic wilderness where it was just death and danger out there. And God says, I... I'm in control of the ocean. Like I I decide where it stops and it can't go any farther than I tell it to go. And he says, for that reason, you should fear me, but you don't. You've decided to rebel against me. You decided to decide that you know what's best instead of trusting me to know what's best. And even at the end, he gives another reason. He says, you should at least trust me because since I control the weather, I send rain so that you can have harvest so that you can have food to live on. So God, God is saying like, I have all of this authority over the forces of nature and I leverage that authority for something good, for what's good for you. I control the rain and I send it to you so that you will have crops and you can eat and live. So he gives this justification for fear of the Lord as like, I'm, I'm in charge of the scariest thing that you can think of. I'm, I'm bigger and badder than that. Not badder, you know what I mean. And he says, like, also, I leverage that power for your good, right? So why, does this feel like a, an analogy that doesn't fit in our point of history? I think when we hear, like, okay, God is over the wind and the thunderstorms and, and, and the oceans, there's, there's a a way in which I think we, we take our scientific knowledge and we allow it to divert us from the power of God. Science is good. Science is beautiful. I love science because science shows us how God created things to work. And I, th- I think that he set things up so that we would explore. When you think about how much we still don't know and you kind of go, why, why is all of that even out there? Why are all those galaxies out there? Part of it is just God's creativity and abundance, but part of it is I think he wants humans to explore this stuff, to get to know him better. But I think what we've done when it comes to these forces of nature that are described in these two passages is we said, well, we kind of get where rain comes from. We understand the water cycle. We kind of get, you know, the ocean currents and the waves and we sort of understand, we've kind of mastered that and and we can build ships now that that can survive out there. So we've sort of removed God or the power of God from our understanding of the forces of nature. When in reality, that hasn't changed. Just because we understand it better doesn't mean God is not still over all of that, controlling all of that, in charge of all of that. And so I think the justification should still ring true for us. Even today with our scientific knowledge of how all these things work, we should still step back and recognize, wow, God is, God is above and over and controls and created all of this. And therefore my response is fear of the Lord. So does it mean that we should be afraid of God because God is stronger than us and he can hurt us? Is that what it means? I I think uh, we we need to talk about fear and love, how these two things can work together, fear and love. Um, Some of you, this is gonna make you um, think of Michael Scott when uh, he's asked, would you rather be feared or loved? And he says, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. Um, there you go. That was for you, Mr. Beachler. So I, I think that we struggle with these ideas of fear and love going together. But when we think about it in terms that scripture is gonna put it um, in terms of parenting, it makes a little sense. So if, you're, if you've parented, a small child, let's let's shoot for three years old, a three-year-old, and you're trying, as a good parent, you want to encourage and inspire and correct and guide and even discipline because that's all what's best for the child. And as you discipline a three-year-old or correct and guide, there are gonna be moments when that child has to come to terms with your authority and power over them, right? And in those moments, it's possible that, that your child might be afraid of you. Is that your goal? Do you want your child to be afraid of you? No way. That's not, that's not what we want. That, that could be a reaction that they have because of their limited understanding and their immaturity is that they, they might be afraid of you in a moment, but that's never our goal. Like we, we would like to avoid that. In fact, we want our kids to know that we love them and what we do is for them. And yet that fear might be there in a moment. I think the same is true with God. I don't think his his desire is for us to be afraid of him. But as we come to terms with his power and authority over our lives and his right to discipline us, are there moments sometimes of fear? Probably coming from our own immaturity, And lack of scope, perspective, but that's not his desire for us. I don't believe that God has commanded us to be afraid of him. So I think um, what we're looking at with this uh, fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom is this concept of of reverence, awe, respect for God that um, is combined with love. And that can be a beautiful thing, but it's something that we have trouble sort of zeroing in on, okay? Uh, for example, so I, I played basketball in college. That's not a big deal uh, because of the college I went to, so don't get excited. Um, but I loved being on this team, but I had a complicated relationship with the coach. Coach Carnes was uh, an intimidating guy. He just, he's one of those guys that always seemed sort of just low boil angry, and uh, you didn't know if he was going to Blow up at any moment. And so I just tried to stay on his good side. I wanted playing time. So I just worked hard to, to be nice to him. But most of the team, they, they just loved him and, and um, tried to figure out how to express that love in appropriate ways. And so we were on a road trip. We stopped at a Chili's uh, for dinner. And uh, the guys told our server that it was the coach's birthday. Uh, it was not. And uh, so this uh, genius 19-year-old server um, comes out to celebrate the birthday of our coach and puts a whipped cream pie in his face. Um, I thought it was funny. (laughs) He did not. uh, He was so mad. Um, 14 of us left that restaurant without paying a dime (laughs) for anything that we ate. Um, And uh, he, he... was just super silent in the, in the van on the way home. And on the way home, he got pulled over for speeding. <laughs> I mean, it just compounds. It just got worse and worse. So it was a tense night. But that was a moment where our team was trying to express this love for this, this coach in a way that bled over into disrespect. And that's what he felt. He felt disrespected. And I think that we struggle with that. We have to learn this balance of, okay, I love God and God loves me. And yet, he is over me. He's not my buddy. Like, I, 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 we don't just hang out. Like, he's, he's in charge. He's, he has the authority to decide what's best for me. And so I've got to find this balance in my relationship with God of understanding what it looks like to love and respect him, right? And sometimes we, we wrestle with this. Our kids go through an age where they're transitioning from uh, this like authority is the most important thing to we we merge into hopefully eventually a friendship with our kids, right? But there's this there's some tense times in there where you're figuring that out and and sometimes somebody crosses the line from love into disrespect. And so um, this is what God wants for us is this relationship where he acknowledges his power and authority over us and yet we acknowledge that he loves us. Proverbs 3 puts it like this. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. As a father, the son, he delights in. He delights in you, his children. And yet, because he knows what's best and wants to guide us, he will discipline us. So fear and love have to go together and fear and faith are closely connected. Fear and faith are are closely connected as well. And we see this in um, the story of Abraham. It's just a spotlight on it. Abraham's son, Isaac, Uh, He's been waiting for, for 25 years, is finally born. Abraham loves Isaac, I mean, with all his heart. And God says, okay, uh, I want you to sacrifice your son. And so Abraham goes through with all of this preparation, everything that God tells him to do. And right up to the point where he's going to take a knife to his son, an angel of the Lord shows up and we'll pick up there in uh, Genesis 22, 12. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So Abraham is, is credited in Scripture with righteousness because of this act of obedience that was an incredible demonstration of faith, isn't it? I mean, the Hebrews uh, writer tells us about this story. He says, Abraham, went, he, was, he was willing to go through because he believed that God could raise the dead. Abraham believed even if he had to go through with this that he was going to get his son back. That's that's a lot of faith. Abraham had never seen anyone raised from the dead before. And yet he he just trusted that God could do this and so he's ready to go through with it. That's that's fear and faith. That's acknowledging God has the right to decide what's best. And I trust him so much I'll do whatever he says. And that's that's a high level of faith. So we have to ask this question, do we trust that God's guidance is going to lead us somewhere good? Because as we jump into these rivers, so we were talking, we're using this metaphor of the ocean and the rivers, and and there are these rivers that lead us to the wisdom of God, the the Holy Spirit, uh, Scripture, wise people. As we jump into these rivers, rivers don't always follow a straight line. In fact, they hardly ever follow a straight line, do they? Rivers bend and wind and sometimes even change their course over time. And so if I am trying to get to the Gulf of Mexico from St. Louis, Missouri, and I put my, my kayak in the, in the river, I probably wouldn't do that in Mississippi, but anyway. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm headed for the Gulf of Mexico. That's the destination. I'm in the Mississippi River going south. But sometimes that river bends so much that my kayak at times is gonna be pointed north. And in those moments where where I'm pointed north, but I know my destination is south, I I have a decision to make. Do I trust that this river is going to actually get me where I'm supposed to be going? Do I trust that even though it looks like I'm facing the wrong direction, if I stay the course, I'll get where I'm going? I think life throws these curves at us sometimes where we think I'm I'm trying, God. I'm I'm trying to follow you. I'm I'm trying to be obedient. I'm trying to do things your way, but it does not feel like I'm going in the right direction. It does not feel like this is gonna lead me where I wanna end up. And in that moment, we have to ask ourselves, do I trust him? Do I trust him that that his wisdom is going to lead me somewhere good, to to where he wants me to be, to where he created me to be? And so um, as, as we wrap up, I I want us to see how this shows up in the New Testament and uh, Acts, which is the story of of the church, how the church after Jesus's resurrection and ascension, the church gets started and more and more people are hearing the gospel. They get to a point where there's a lot of persecution happening and uh, people are getting arrested and taken from their families and their property confiscated and they're thrown in jail because of their faith in Jesus. Well, the person who was leading that charge, his name was Saul, and, and he has this conversion experience on the road to Damascus. And um, after he's kind of taken out of the equation, the church uh, experiences some relief from the persecution. And we'll pick up there in Acts nine thirty one. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. It increased in numbers. So... Living in the fear of the Lord is not something that happened after the persecution ended. It was something that was ongoing for these people throughout their time of persecution. They continued to live in fear of the Lord. They continued to embrace God's authority to decide what was best. They continued to live in this relationship of love and respect. They continued to have faith that God knew what was best for them and they could trust his way even when it felt like uh, the wrong direction. And because of their fear of the Lord, they get to this season of peace where there's a lot of growth and thriving for the church. Now that season of peace didn't last forever. Uh, The persecution came back again later, but their fear of the Lord never changed. And I think that's what we're called to. And I think that's the challenge for us is to be able to say, all right, I'm gonna, uh, things are not going like I wish they were. This is not what I had planned. This is not even feel like it's what's best. But God is good, he loves me. I can trust him to decide what's best for me. That's, that's the fear of the Lord. So we're gonna continue through the series to ask this question, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? In every area of my life, I want this just to invade every corner of our, our lives. Our calendars, what's the wise thing to do with my calendar? What's the wise thing to do with my relationships? My, the people that God's put in my life, what's the wise thing to do with my finances? What's the wise thing to do with my career or my retirement? What's the wise thing to do with my hobbies? We want this to invade every corner of our lives so that we're continuing to grow in this ability to know and do what's best according to God's wisdom. I believe as we do this, that God can use us. I believe it's gonna lead us to steps of faith and that when we take steps of faith, we encourage and inspire other people to turn to Jesus. So one of the steps of faith that that we believe in strongly here is baptism. If you've never taken the step of baptism, uh, we want to encourage you to to pray about that. If it's something that you've thought about or you want more information about, I would love for you to reach out. You can text the word baptism to that number on the screen, and it'll prompt me to give you a call later, or you can just uh, check in with me at some point through email or whatever. But when we, when we grow in godly wisdom, we take steps of faith and our steps of faith encourage and inspire other people to, to look at Jesus and to consider what they really believe and what their lives are really about. And so we hope that godly wisdom will lead us to these steps of faith. So um, would you stand? We're gonna close with a word of prayer. And we're just gonna take this question to God, what is the wise thing to do? And we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit is is God's presence among us at work in our hearts? We're gonna ask him to convict us of areas where maybe we're not living by godly wisdom. We've developed habits or patterns of thought that don't express God's authority to determine what's best for us. We're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to convict us of that. This is also a good time, and I know this mostly for us, but I know there are people in your life, especially if you're a parent or a grandparent, that you, you hope will grow in wisdom. Wisdom. And so this is an opportunity to pray for them that they'll grow in godly wisdom as well. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving us this open door uh, to your wisdom and that this starting point for us, the uh, the fear of you is something that we can uh, wrestle with and grow in just living in reverence and awe of you, living in relationship of mutual love, And this this confidence that you know what you're doing and we can trust you. So just help us to grow in all of that and take a look at every area of our lives and find the places where we need to make some changes. And I ask God that as we grow, that you would continue to use us, continue to use us to to build a healthy and fruitful church family, continue to use us to have healthy um, homes that honor you and are a blessing to the people around us, continue to um, help us to show the truth about Jesus to the people in our community. And may you get the glory for every good thing. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for coming, God bless you. You are sent to be salt and light in a world that desperately needs Christ.